Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Well, uh, I'm going to pray for Sharon. She's going to come and preach to us today. And you should have a little uh, handout here with the passage. Uh, that'll be read in a moment during the talk, but you can keep that and take a few notes, and it might help you as you uh, ponder this uh, sermon, and then during the week apply it to your life and pray things through. So let me pray, and then over to you, Sharon. Father, we thank you for your word that's living and active, and we pray that it would be living and active in our lives today, that you'd penetrate our hearts, you'd clarify things in our minds, and you'd lead us to Jesus, and uh, that we might love him more and be more like him as a result. In his name we pray. Amen. Good afternoon, Christ City Church. It is so wonderful to be with you. This passage has really challenged me and hopefully it will challenge you. I wonder how many, if any, are using the Be Real app. Here's a picture of it. Anybody? thought you guys would be like in touch with what's going on in the street. Well, if you're not familiar with it, which is everyone, here's how it describes itself. The simplest photo sharing app to share once a day your real life in photo with friends. Every day at a different time, everyone captures a photo of themselves within two minutes. Capture and post in time, it says, to discover what your friends are up to, or really up to, it sounds really ominous, I didn't mean it to sound <laughs> ominous, um, but it's offering an alternative to Instagram because it wants to portray a more real snapshot of life. And I wonder what parts of your day you wouldn't want captured on the Be Real app. Maybe just boring moments or lazy moments that wouldn't look good, or maybe moments when you've lost your temper, moments you're not proud of. But I do commend the initiative of Be Real because I'm sure like me, you're tired of just seeing the highlight reels of people's lives. But thankfully, God's word is not like an Instagram highlight reel. It's real, it's more like the Be Real app. It's gritty and it's honest. And we've seen that so far in the book of Jonah. We've seen an honest, flawed character and that's putting it mildly. We've not just seen his highlight reel, but we've also seen the God of second chances whose purposes were not thwarted by messy Jonah. And today we're looking at the beginning of chapter four, and it may not have the exciting violent weather storms, great fish rescues, or whole nations calling upon God, but it is dramatic of a different kind. And it brings together some of the threads, some of the lessons from the whole narrative. Just as a wee reminder of context, we left chapter three last week with disaster averted. Every last person in Nineveh, and as Steve reminded us, even the animals were covered in sackcloth as a symbol that they were responding to God's word. Chapter three, verse 10 said, when God saw what they did, and uh, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. National revival, we heard about last week, success. This is what every missionary would want. This is the high point of Jonah's ministry, surely. 
Well, let's find out as we dive into today's passage. Thank you, Mimi. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it, it is better for me to die than to live. <clears throat> but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? saw the shock there or felt the shock that we should feel. To Jonah, look down with me at verse one, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. God's compassion towards Nineveh seems wrong to Jonah. But it wasn't just a theoretical or a theological difference of opinion. Look down again, it says, Jonah became angry. Now, in his anger, he prays. That seems a wise thing to do. But his prayer reveals the depth of his anger. This is not just a mild frustration with God. Glance again at verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. That's pretty extreme anger. Here's a missionary, an esteemed prophet of God with off-the-charts anger issues. Now, we've known all along he was a flawed character, but now we're witnessing just how deep the brokenness goes. A moment I'd definitely be embarrassed to be captured for all my friends to see. But God's word, the fact that God has included the flare-up of Jonah's anger in his word shows that God is just as concerned about the personal revival in broken, messy people like Jonah as he is about the national revival. He's just as concerned about the inner world of the messenger as he is about the message that's proclaimed. Well, that was then. What about now? Social media is full of clips about the outburst of the anger, um, outburst of anger during Oscar, the Oscars on Monday night. I'm sure you've seen it. It's, it's everywhere at the minute. There's so many opinions out there, mostly seem to surround the legitimacy of Will Smith's anger and the illegitimacy of his expression of it. Um, and lots of discussion this week about anger. Zoe Williams published an article a few years ago on The Guardian online, and she entitled it, we live in an age of anger. She writes this, like any stimulant, anger has addictive properties. You become habituated to it and you start to rove around looking for things to make you angry. Unprocessed anger, she writes, pollutes the social sphere. And we have landed, I like to think by accident, on a technology that perpetuates it and amplifies it occasionally productively, but more often than not, to no purpose at all. And we only need to scroll on social media for a moment to see she's right. We live in an age of anger. Are you angry? Angry in general? Angry with God? What do you do with your anger? Does it come out in dramatic ways? Or do you suppress it? 
or a bit of both. Now, I want to note here that if you're living with someone who makes you feel unsafe when they express their anger, come and speak with us. Or if you yourself know that when you express your anger, you're making yourself feel unsafe or somebody else, seek help. Because we here in the church family, we listen, we'll pray, and we'll encourage you how to find the support that you need. But if your anger is not making others or yourself feel unsafe, but it doesn't go away, what do you do? Well, let's consider God's response to Jonah's anger. Did you notice this question? Look down again at verse four. Is it right for you to be angry? So rather than giving tips on how to deal with anger, God questions the very ethics of Jonah's anger. Was it right for Jonah to be angry? There's no doubt about it. It would have been extremely challenging to desire the flourishing of the Ninevites. Maybe you know they were the regional power oppressing many nations around them. Eventually, they would take Jonah's nation, Israel, into exile. Plus, of course, we know there's such a thing as righteous anger. We know that God has righteous anger against sin and evil. Jesus himself got angry on occasion. And we know we can be rightly angry about injustice. But all too often, that anger is not justified. And this chapter is the textbook case of unjustified anger. Because Jonah wasn't really expressing anger at the evil in Nineveh. He's angry at God. Are you angry at God? Am I angry at God? So God challenges Jonah's anger here and says, is it right for you to be angry? And let's turn that question to ourselves. Are you and I right to be angry? I think to answer that, we need to look at who or what makes us angry. And if you're anything like me, you'll find disproportionate anger bubbles up for all sorts of reasons. What's the trigger for you? Perhaps it's housemates leaving their dirty dishes on the side for days and days. promise this is hypothetical. I haven't taken a survey, so don't get uncomfortable. Um, Or work colleagues saying they'll do something and they never get around to it. Or your spouse not doing what you ask them to do. This is hypothetical, Jez. Um, Or simple things in life just not going your way. But I wonder if you ever stop to consider what lies underneath your anger. Why does this person or that situation make you feel so frustrated? Well, I've been reflecting on this recently. You now know from the welcome today that I have a two-year-old at home. And whilst two-year-olds are a huge bundle of joy and they bring much laughter, they're also a big bundle of emotions, independence, and strong will, Jez would say. It's not the only one in our house like that, but the toddler is like that. But it makes me feel angry many times. And I've been asking myself, why? What is underneath that anger? Because it's when we do this kind of reflection that we're trying to get to the root of the issue and not just deal with what's on surface. So let's dig a wee bit deeper into the passage and see what lay behind Jonah's anger. And it may help us identify the roots behind our anger too. So let's look at Jonah's heart and the idols that lurk there. 
Glance again at verse 2. Jonah declares God's character. He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, the intonation is my own, but I think I'm reflecting the tone of the passage. This isn't a declaration of praise. God, you're amazing because you're like this. This is a prideful outburst of anger, a kind of, I told you so tone. And in fact, he admits this was the very reason he hadn't wanted to go to Nineveh. He hadn't wanted the Ninevites to experience God as God. What a contrast. The God of the Bible, slow to anger, and Jonah, full of anger. God's beautiful and generous character stands juxtaposed to this prideful man. But this is actually the second prayer of Jonah's that we've been let into. The first one was in chapter two, if you remember, whilst he's in the belly of the fish, and then the second one after he's witnessed national revival. One writer commenting on the two prayers said, Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place, the belly of the fish, and he prayed his worst prayer in the best place after seeing national revival. Because you see, his first prayer came from a place of brokenness and humility, but his second prayer came from a place of bitterness and anger. And maybe if we're honest, that's where some of us are today. So let's look back at that prayer. What did he pray his best prayer in the belly of the fish? So we've got that coming up. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I avoid, I'll make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What a prayer. Very different prayer from today's prayer. Because here in today's passage, Jonah appears to be turning away from God's love. He wants to die. There's no shouts of grateful praise at God's salvation. So the inference is that he's the one, in verse 8, clinging to worthless idols. They're not the, the golden statues of other nations, but there's something or things in Jonah's life that he's valuing more than God and what God is doing in the world. And what are those idols? Well, it may simply be that things didn't go as he wanted, not getting his own way, the idol of control. Maybe, though, it was the idol of reputation, because maybe Jonah was embarrassed that his prophecy of destruction didn't actually come true. And after all, a prophet is only seen as legitimate by the accuracy of their prophetic words. But it may be the idol of nationalism, where rightful pride in his own identity as an Israelite, the covenant people of God, had crossed a line. Tim Keller writes, if Jonah had to choose between the security of Israel and loyalty to God, well, he was ready to push God away. And that's not just a healthy concern for, and love for one's country, that's a kind of deification of it. What about us as you look into this part of Jonah's life, into the mirror of God's word, 
What idols are lurking in you and in me? What are the things that rival God's rightful place in your life? They might be good things that have become so important, they're God things. And it's not the only diagnostic um, feature, but if something causes you to feel angry, that can be a really good indication that there's an idol at play. So what is it with you that when it's taken from you, or it's challenged, or threatened, or not given to you, you experience anger, maybe rage, anxiety, or even, like Jonah, despair. And honestly, I think when I feel anger at a toddler's behavior, some of what lies beneath that is the idol of control. We love, I love to think I'm in control, but we're not, because we're not God. But when I taste that anger and that frustration bubble up, I'm given an opportunity to realize afresh I'm still clinging to the illusion that I'm in control and that an independent two-year-old will automatically fit into my desires. But it might not be the idol of control for you. Maybe you can identify with Jonah's heart idol of nationalism, prejudice, or as some have called it, racism. Has your love of your nation of origin, or maybe where you are now, become so important to you that you look down on other nationalities? Keller again writes, if you love your country's interests, if the love for your country's interests leads you to exploit people, or in this case, to root for an entire class of people to be spiritually lost, then you love your nation more than God. This is idolatry by any definition. If you're a believer in Jesus, consider these questions. Is your identity more rooted in your race and nationality more than who you are in Christ? More than what he's done and achieved for you? Are you more passionate in cheering on your national sports teams than you are in cheering on for Jesus? Do you, do I feel more stirred by the songs and the symbols of our nation than the songs and the symbols of Christ? Does our nationality shape our identity more than Jesus does? We need to take note of what's in our heart in this area. But what about, as, we, as Steve prayed a minute ago, what about the right anger we feel about what's happening in, the, in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Syria and many other countries. We're angry and we're crying out for justice. As you read the story of Jonah, perhaps you're wondering if God is sweeping the evil of the Ninevites under the carpet. Is his compassion devoid of justice? Will he sweep what's happening today in Ukraine under the carpet? And I think to answer that, we need to look back at what Jonah says about God in verse 2. Because when Jonah declares God's character in his prayer, he's quoting another part of the Bible, Exodus 34, 6-7. It's one of the most powerful scenes in the Bible, and it's one of my personal favorites. Moses encounters the living God at the top of Mount Sinai. God reveals himself and proclaims his character to Moses. And here we have that on the screen. Look at the verses 
And he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But look at what comes out next. Jonah has left this next bit out. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God's compassion doesn't sweep evil under the carpet. There's a sober promise here that the guilty will not go unpunished. And this should have helped Jonah. This should have helped him process his frustration with God. This should have humbled Jonah in his pride that the judge of all the earth will do right. This should have sobered Jonah that his sin would not be swept under the carpet. And we must be so careful that we're not doing that, that we're not cherry picking Bible verses. We need to fill our minds and form our hearts with the fullness of who God has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. He is gracious and he is just. And whilst remaining just, God is always related to his people with grace. Jonah experienced grace from the violent storm in the sea. And here, he's experiencing grace in the violent internal storm of his anger. God's question to Jonah is pointed, but it's gentle. Is it right for you to be angry? And what we're going to see in the second half of chapter four is God continues to be patient and gracious with Jonah as he patiently shows him the folly of his anger. This declaration of God's character, his justice and his grace points us forward to the cross, which moves us to our final section, the grace of God in Christ. As we've just heard, Moses heard God proclaim his character on the top of Mount Sinai. And as we sung earlier, we look to a hill in Calvary where Jesus hung on a tree, not just proclaiming, but displaying and embodying the grace of God. Not leaving the guilty unpunished, taking the punishment of the guilty. Ninevites, Jonah, you and me deserve. You see, reading about Jonah's anger should make us long for a greater Jonah, and in Matthew 12, referring to himself, Jesus announces that something greater than Jonah has come. Jesus was one greater than Jonah. His character was very different to Jonah's. He looked at his enemies and instead of desiring their demise, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He took no pleasure in punishment of others. He gave up his life so that whoever believes in him wouldn't die, but live, have eternal life. He was tempted in every way as Jonah was, every way that we are, but was without sin. No heart idols. God the Father had the rightful place in his heart. And as he faced death, he said to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Nineveh repented through hearing a very short sermon from Jonah, but we get the chance to see the grace and justice of God displayed on the cross, embodied on the cross. 
Because it's on the cross that God's right anger at sin was expressed. He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't ignore it, whether it's the sin of the Ninevites or yours and mine or the war today. God is rightly angry and justice was done as God in Christ took the punishment for all that wrongdoing, took the penalty for the sin of those who would trust in him. So at the cross, we see God's right anger expressed. But at the cross, that's also where we take our unrighteous anger. The cross shows us how far God will go to save angry, unworthy people like you and me. God pursued Jonah across the seas, through the belly of a fish, through great highs and through great lows. He didn't give up on Jonah and he doesn't give up on us. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of how far God will go for the sake of angry people who don't deserve his love. Wow. And as we experience his grace, we can pray that the Holy Spirit will heal our anger and soften our hearts and enable us to trust him and say, not my will, but yours be done. And as we grasp that grace, we pray that the Holy Spirit will enable us to extend grace to others in frustrating circumstances. But we opened with the passage, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I wonder if there's some who've never tasted the grace of God. You wouldn't describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, I hope you've seen something today of the grace of God in this passage. As this God of grace continued to reach out to Jonah, so he reaches out to you today. There's an offer of free grace held out to you in the story of Jonah. And all the more as it points to Jesus Christ on the cross. Receive his grace today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But for all of us here today, just like the Be Real app encourages more honesty, let's be honest with God about our anger. But don't despair. Be encouraged that if you're carrying anger towards others or towards God, God's not finished with us yet. Anger Yes, it exposes our heart idols. But come and experience the grace of God in Christ. And we're going to be celebrating communion in a minute. Let's use that time to repent of our unrighteous anger, to meditate, to really gaze on Jesus Christ on the cross and the grace and the justice embodied displayed there. Let's receive grace afresh this afternoon. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know us. You see our hearts. You know everything about us. You know the anger that lurks deep within us. Anger in general. Anger against you. We're sorry. We're sorry for all the idols. We're sorry for this. Forgive us afresh this afternoon. 
Help us, O God, not to wallow in introspection or to despair at our angry hearts, but to gaze at and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the beautiful person of Jesus Christ, for his justice and his grace, most fully displayed, embodied for us on the cross. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that the grace of Christ will change us to be more like the beautiful person of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.